Well, good morning again, and welcome to Twin Cities Church. If you are watching us for the first time, uh, welcome. Then You know, this is an awkward situation to uh, talk into a camera. Uh, George and I and Deirdre joke about that. I'm probably the worst of the three with giving sermons into a camera. Um, so thank you for enduring it. Um, and really just all of this, you know, d- during this time of COVID, not being able to meet in person and being able to do it digitally. I mean, it is, it is a real gift that we do have the technology and the ability to do this. Um, but it is, there is really a loss. And there is a loss of not being able to do this corporately and with a lot of people together and the, just the joy of being together. So we do yearn for that and long for that day and look forward to when we can be together again. As we continue in our series here on soul care, which is really addressing mental health and how that intersects with the church and the gospel, you know, I I first just want to start by giving a little praise and recognition to Deirdre Chance. If you're not familiar, Deirdre is really the one who put together this series, who really outlined it and um, really gave, you know, George and I the things to preach on when it comes to these different weeks. And she has really done a tremendous job with this series and preparing it and putting it together. As one of the ministers here in the church, it's a real gift to be able to work with Deirdre. And this whole series really has her, you know, imprint on it. And so I'm really thankful she gave me this week to preach on and just this topic of loneliness. This week, as we, we look at this topic, the topic is loneliness and how that really intersects with the church and with the gospel. And it's a really striking topic when you see loneliness as the topic to be addressed or the issue throughout, uh, you really start to see it everywhere around us and in Scripture and in culture. There was a recent survey and study done by Cigna in 2018 that was very widely published and reported on back in 2018 and 2019, really last year is when they really released their findings. They were using the UCLA study results, or UCLA had come up with a way to measure loneliness on a, on a loneliness scale that psychologists there uh, created. And so they surveyed 20,000 adults, and what they found was that nearly half of Americans in 2018 reported either sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. 46% said they almost always feel alone. 47% said they almost always feel left out of things. One in four Americans, or 27%, rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. One in five, or again, 20% report they rarely or never feel close to people. 18% feel like they don't have anybody, any person in their life who they can talk to. The study found a lot of interesting correlations as well. You know, we tend to think that if you, just because if you live with other people or you're with people, that would mean you'd be less lonely. And while there was a slight correlation, it was pretty negligible that just because you're with people doesn't necessarily indicate that you are less lonely. And in fact, single families or single parents 
with kids all day, there were increased experiences of loneliness. And in 2018, around only half, half of Americans, or 53%, reported that they have meaningful, in-person, social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend, or spending family time or quality time with people on a daily basis. Only half of Americans feel like they have interactive, face-to-face -face with people daily. And Generation Z, this generation that right now is between 18 to 22, 23, reported being the loneliest generation on the charts and reporting the most mental health issues as well. Now that was 2018. Their 2019, they did the survey again, and they're just starting to release that data. They haven't, they've teased it, saying just that overall number that, where that was 47% of respondents feeling lonely. Now they said in 2019 that number rose to 61%, but they haven't given the rest of the data or the correlating info. So we can only just conjecture as to what that looks like in 2019, but then, obviously, and I think all of us, right, are thinking of this, I mean, what is this, what, what effect has COVID had on these feelings of isolation, of not having interaction with people, not being able to have conversations, not feeling understood, loneliness. It's a serious problem. I think many of us who do have face-to-face -face interactions, who are married, who have spouses who love us, who understand us, who do have families, and we take these things for granted and don't recognize just the seriousness that the problem of loneliness is in our culture and in the world. It has serious consequences on an individual level, manifesting itself in all kinds of different uh, ways in which people feel and how they then act. Uh, Signa was reporting how it really affects economics in the country and people's work and all of these different aspects of your life. If you are lonely, you feel disconnected from others, you don't feel like there's people who know you, who understand you, that you can talk to, it's a problem. It's an epidemic proportion problem. That's what Signo is reporting. Now, obviously, in light of COVID, that word epidemic takes on, you know, has a new meaning of things. But when you look at over half of the population of the country feeling alone, that's a significant problem. It's also a biblical problem. You know, you look through Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, that issue of being alone comes up over and over from the, very, from the garden, from the creation of man and how it was not good for him to be alone. And then all of the various characters and protagonists of Scripture go through periods of time where they are abandoned and alone. It's a universal experience that all of us have either had, are currently having, or will have but we'll have times in our lives, extended periods of our life, in which we will be alone, where we will be cut off from the people in our life who we love, who love us. Even Jesus in the garden, right, alone and abandoned by his friends, those closest to him, uh, dying on the cross, alone. Paul in chains, alone, cut off from the church that had given him the, the care and the support David, through the Psalms, again and again, will speak of his affliction and his loneliness. Solomon, I was read today too, you know, the issue, just because you have money, just because you have wealth and means and a home and a family doesn't mean that you will not be alone. 
it's a problem, it's suffering, it's something that across the board everyone feels and everyone recognizes is an issue and one that we all recognize is something that we were not intended for. We were not intended to go through life alone, we were not intended to go through this life without people. We were created for community, we were created for others, to love others and to be loved by others. And so when we don't have that, when that's been taken from us, and for so, for so many of us, this experience of COVID has really exacerbated what was already there for those who were lonely going into these months, that's just been heightened. Uh, for those who lacked personal communi- like contact and community and people to talk to and care for them, this has just been a heightened experience now. It's not something that we were designed for. It's not something we handle well. We don't handle being alone very well. We don't handle isolation very well. And in fact, those are some of the things that all of us, and we know this, right? If you think about times in your life where you have had to be alone with yourself, not with others, let alone cut off from the people who love you and who know you, there are very few things that are as trying or difficult because it's not how we were created. So we go to great lengths to overcome these feelings of loneliness, to avoid being alone, to avoid the feeling of isolation. And we've all learned to cope with these things. And and we've become experts at it in our modern world of how to deal with our our loneliness. Uh, you, You can just look across culture to see all kinds of different ways but also we just look in our own lives. How have we been dealing with the isolation of COVID? How have we been dealing with the isolation that we have in our lives to begin with? And there's several things. I think our first and foremost way that as a culture and as a people we try to cope with our loneliness is distraction. That's the go-to, really for almost anything that ails us, any issue within our life, any form of suffering. We distract ourselves away from those feelings So we give ourselves to anything and everything that would distract us, that would help to numb us, that would help to make it that we can't, that we won't think about it, I won't remember that I'm alone, that I don't have someone in my life, that I am isolated and cut off, right? It helps to be distracted. So we exercise, we go for walks, we go camping, we watch TV shows, uh, we work really hard. We build lives that are very, very busy so that we don't have to sit in that loneliness and think and be reminded of the suffering that we're actually going through. Because if I don't think about my suffering, maybe it's as if I don't actually suffer. But it's short-lived. Another way that we tend to cope with our loneliness is we put unrealistic expectations and misplaced hopes onto people to meet them, where we say, okay, I don't like this feeling, I don't want to be alone, I don't like being cut off, so I will look for someone or some other community that will fit that need for me. This group of people, this community, this person is not fulfilling me. They've abandoned me. They're not meeting my needs. They can't do it. Therefore, I'm just going to find someone else, a different community that will meet my needs. And 
that's going to be the solution to my problem, right? We blame the people in our lives for the situation that we feel, right? The, this isolation and this loneliness is the result of others. So if I just can pick the right group, if I can just find the right person, then that loneliness will be solved. It'll go away. If I can just get married, I'll no longer be alone. If I can just find someone to be a friend, I'll finally feel at peace. If I can just find the right church, if I can just find the right job, if I can just have the right neighbors, if I can just find, and we spend our life then searching and yearning and putting on people our expectations and our hopes, crushing them under them, because nobody can withstand those types of expectations to meet all of our needs and to give us our fulfillment in life. But we look to others to do it. And then we're disappointed when they don't fulfill our hopes. Which leads to that, I think, third thing that we do to cope with our loneliness is we distance ourselves. Especially if we've been burned. If we've been burned enough times, let down by enough people in our life, then we start to stoically, cynically distance ourselves from others and saying, look, you know what? They're just going to reject me anyway. It'd just be easier to reject them preemptively. <laughs> I'll never get close to anybody because I know that when they do get close to me, they're going to abandon me anyway. So it's best just to keep my guard up and to keep distance away. So we stay on the peripheral. We're around people, but we're never known by people. We show up to things, but we also retreat from those things very quickly. We have high expectations and hopes that, for people, but we're not going to put in the work or the effort to make those relationships work because we're afraid that ultimately if I do all that work, if I put in all this effort, I know where this is all going to go anyway, so why even bother? So we distance ourselves. And the effects of this, the effects of our distraction, of our unrealistic expectations, and of our distancing, really are felt throughout our culture, our life, and our church. We, we see the effects. What do we encounter is more and more loneliness. There's an, there's an irony there. I mean, C.S. Lewis writes about this as well in a lot of his different books, but on the, the Four Loves and in Mere Christianity, but talking about this idea of, you know, it's the person who is trying to make friends is the one who never does. It's the person who is looking for things who never actually finds those things. And that, that is the unfortunate reality. You have people who are desperately looking for friendship and meaningful relationships, and they don't find them. In fact, it just compounds the loneliness and the isolation. It grows cynicism and despair within our communities. It creates isolation, further and further isolation within our, our world and in our church. And in so many ways, right, our culture has glorified isolation as a means of our own self-justification. 
as a moral righteousness. You know, look how isolated my life is. That means I'm actually loving people by not spreading COVID. It means I'm self-sufficient. It means I don't need people. I can isolate. I can cut myself off. I can be alone. But it's not what we were intended for. It's not a badge of honor to be isolated. And all our efforts to combat our loneliness has also led to further divisions and judgments of others, right? In our desperate desire to be known, to belong, to be a part, we find all kinds of different ways that we can find that acceptance. We find groups to belong to, usually virtual at times, in person, but we we create these groups that give us our identity and then we turn and look at others with judgment and we push them away and we won't be with because those groups could never understand me. I could never understand them. I have no desire to even know what they're thinking. I can't imagine what it would be like to be them. Ugh. And so we further isolate ourselves and now we just isolate ourselves as small communities from others. But Scripture is calling us to a very different way of life, to a life that is not lonely, that is not in isolation, that's not cynical, but it's also not unrealistic. The biblical call is one to joy and to satisfaction in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. To those who are lonely, the Bible is clear. It gives clear direction. It encourages those who are experiencing loneliness, which is, again, all of us to some degree, have our will experience profound times of isolation and loneliness. Right? And when we find ourselves in that place, Scripture is calling us to be honest. To be honest with ourselves first, to actually reflect and to show that inwardness, to look within, to stop distracting ourselves from our hurts and our pains, to stop distracting ourselves, numbing ourselves to our suffering so that we minimize it and say it's not a real thing. We have to be honest. We have to admit that those feelings we're having, that discontent, it's because we are lonely. The feeling of loneliness is universal. It's a real thing. And it's a real form of suffering. It's not something that we just need to toughen up, suck it up. What's wrong with you? Why do you feel lonely? You had no reason to feel lonely. No, we have a lot of reasons to feel lonely. And the legitimate reasons to feel lonely. We were not intended to be alone. It's okay to mourn for the loss of deep relationships and friendships. That desire to be with someone, to be known by someone, to be loved by someone, those are good desires that God has given us. That's the way we are designed. And to not have that in this life, in this world, is wrong is suffering. It's not what God intended. So the first call of Scripture to us 
is to really just be honest with our loneliness. Are you alone? Are you lonely? Are you trying to distract yourself from your loneliness because it's just too painful to look at? Honestly reflect on your life and look at what it is that you're feeling and why you're feeling these things and what it is that you're hoping for, your pain and your disappointments. It's painful and it hurts. And we get that and it's not fun. This is something that none of us like to do is that call to inward reflection and a looking at ourselves, which is why we never want to sit alone. It's why we don't like to meditate on Scripture that often and pray and reflect. We would rather find something to do with our time because when I'm alone, I'm alone with myself. And I have to look at myself. But that's the call that Scripture tells us, it calls us to, is to look and to reflect. What is the suffering that you're experiencing? And when we're being honest with ourselves, we're also then called to be honest with others. There is a community around you. There are people. Reach out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Reach out and be honest with your suffering. You are not meant to suffer alone. Reach out to those who are around you and express the suffering and the experiences that you have. Throughout Scripture, we see that model. Paul, in isolation in Scripture, writes letters to the churches, expressing his situation, but also his gratitude and thanks for them and for their support. In your isolation, right, we have a tendency in our loneliness to retreat into that more and more and more isolation. In our depressiveness, in our inwardness, we can just become more and more inward. But Scripture doesn't call us towards that. We become inward, we reflect inward, and then we go outward, and we share with those who are around us and who are trusted. The church has a role in our life. The church has a role in our suffering. Don't rob the community of your, of your suffering and of your situation, but to reach out. And then finally, for those who are suffering, we're called to be honest with God. Psalm 25 that George read gives a beautiful template of what this looks like. Right, David, honest with himself, honest with others, honest with God. In Psalm 25, right, let me read that again for us. David says, right, turn to me and be gracious to me, speaking to God, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. The Psalms, as we went through the spring, give us the words and a template to use to pray through our feelings and our emotions. And loneliness is one of those. We are to take these feelings and these emotions and we are to not just bring them to others, but we are to bring them to God. 
be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. In your loneliness, in your grief, in your despair, right, how often do you turn to God? We are called to be honest with our life, to ourselves, to others, and to the Lord, to pray through our feelings, to pray through our hurt, to pray through our suffering. Now, Scripture also gives instruction to us, not just for those who are lonely, to be honest with themselves and honest with others and with God, but it also is giving us instructions to the whole church as well, to those of us who are not lonely. Because as we were looking at, you know, half, half of us may experience or be in a place of loneliness, but the other half is not. And for those of us who are, in, who are blessed with community and blessed with people in our life who do know us and we are in this place, what is the call of Scripture to us? Well, Ephesians really gives a great picture of this throughout the book, of, but Ephesians chapter 4, 5 really give this idea that as a church, right, we are called to walk in a manner right, worthy of our calling, that we are to walk in love and unity, that we have a calling to one another, that we are not isolated, that we are not isolated nuclear families, that it's just me and my family and that's all I need. I've got everything I need contained right here. I've got my one person who knows me, my spouse. I've got my two and a half kids who are, I love and I'm investing in and I've got my dogs in my house. That's, all right, I'm good. God has blessed me and now I'm just keeping this together. That's not what we're called to. We are part of a broader family. We are called to others. We are called to love others. Through the Spirit, we are growing as a church. The kingdom is growing on this earth. It may not look like it all the time, but as the kingdom advances and as the church advances, we as a church continue to grow in our love and unity towards others, which means we care for each other. Those of us who have been blessed with families, with spouses, with homes, we have been blessed so that we can bless others. We open up our homes. We open up our lives. The gospel comes with a house key. If you remember that study and, and book from last summer, it, it, these things go hand in hand. I can't experience the love and hospitality and joy of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and then not offer that to others. We have to care for those in our circles, those in our lives, those on the peripheral, those who are overlooked. We have been given these blessings that we have for a reason. We care for one another. And what's also so good in, in Ephesians and convicting for us as a church and as a community then too is that while we are called to care for one another, we are also called to forgive one another. Because in our efforts to be friends, in our efforts to care, in our efforts to love, we are going to do it imperfectly. We won't be perfect friends. We're not going to be perfect family members. Just like every family has its issues, so does the family of God. 
Ephesians talks about that we should be quick, quick to speak the truth to one another, quick to forgive one another, to not give an opportunity to the devil to get in and start to divide us. It's only when we continue to give grace to one another, where we continue to show up for each other, where we continue to make efforts to love one another, that we will experience that power and that grace that Christ gives. As a church, we have been called to be a family. For many of us, that means if you are in that place where you feel isolated and alone, it's easy to look at all the other people in the church who have families, who have homes, who seem to have this idyllic life, and look at them with envy and jealousy, or scorn, or, and then distance yourself from them, or not feel like you could belong or be a part. Or you may have tried, you may have reached out, you may have called, you may show up at house church, but then you don't get the follow-up that you've been needing or asking for, they may let you down, all of those things. Scripture is calling you to keep showing up, to forgive them, to speak the truth to them, to tell them what you're feeling, how they have let you down, your hopes, your hurt, to give it to them, to be honest with them, and to be honest with God. And as a church, we are called to look beyond ourselves, to not be so closed in our thinking that all we see is our own family and that our own yard and our own people right here, but rather we are called to see the people around us who are hurting and who are alone and are to reach out, that we are to ask for forgiveness for those who we have neglected. We are to continue to invite, to reach out, even when we are rejected. But doing this on our own power is tiring. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to be alone. For those of you who have been alone for long stretches of your life, you know this. It is tiring to be alone. To be a community that reaches out and that loves and brings in those on the outside, it's tiring, it's difficult, and it's hard. But thankfully, Christ offers us the strength that we need for the situations where we find ourselves. Because when we really look at the great needs that we have, right, our fundamental problem, that need to be known and cared for, what does it take to truly be known by somebody, to truly be cared for by somebody? What person in our life and in this world could ever know us enough and care for us enough? There is nobody outside of Christ. What could possibly give me joy in the midst of my isolation and my suffering? Is there anything that could produce joy when we feel so alone? Joy instead of cynicism. Our greatest witness to the power of Christ in this world today is going to be our joy. I was reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones on spiritual depression. And now he was writing longer before us now, but saying how, you know, the, one of the great faults of the church in culture today is a lack of joy. 
And I think this is really true for us now. Within our world of isolation, within the world and the time that we live with all the various reckonings and ideas and things that are going on, just the distress of our age, like George was, was referencing in the welcome, just this darkness that is all around us, there's a lack of joy. And in fact, I think the culture doesn't, it looks upon joy as something to be avoided. That means you're not taking things seriously enough. You're not recognizing the severity of the situation out there. But as Christians, that's always been one of the marks of a Christian in the midst of anything and everything. Again, when you look through those narratives of the Bible where you have people in incredible isolation and alone, imprisoned, in incredible suffering, but there is joy. Right? You have Paul and Silas, Barnabas singing in the prisons. Right? What can produce joy in the midst of suffering? What can produce joy in the midst of our isolation? And as a church, in the midst of our isolation. Because what is being produced more and more in our culture, and frankly in the church around the country as well, is cynicism. This negativity, a growing belief in conspiracy theories, a growing just discontent with the way things are, and a blaming of others for what we're experiencing, and putting our hopes in whomever and whatever it is that'll get us back to what we think we need or what we want. But that's not what we see in Scripture. There's an honesty about the situation that this is, in fact, a suffering that we're going through, to be isolated, to be alone, to not be with people. But there is no lack of joy for the Christian. How is that possible? How can we find such joy? How can I have joy and satisfaction in whatever my state, wherever I find myself in my life? That joy and that satisfaction of being a Christian only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other joy and satisfaction in this world that can produce what the gospel produces. The idea that Jesus knows us, truly knows us. Jesus knows your loneliness. Paul writes this way too. Christ knows us in our suffering. He suffers with us. He suffers for us. There is no level of loneliness and isolation that Jesus didn't experience. We don't have a God who is distant from us, who doesn't know what it's like, but rather who offers us a model, who offers us his presence in our suffering. We may feel like nobody knows us, but it's not true. Jesus knows us. And Jesus loves us. We don't just have a God who knows us, but we have a God who actually loves us. Who not only enters into our suffering, but suffers on our behalf to give us life, to give us hope, and who unites us into his family, who brings us in, who adopts us, who has chosen us before the foundation of the world to be adopted as his son, as his daughter, 
right? What hope does that give to know that even in this life, while in this life I may not have a family, it's, I am part of a family. While in this life I may feel alone, the truth is I am never alone. And the reality and the truth of our salvation produces such joy Right, the reality, the truth of knowing that Christ knows me and he loves me and that he's united me with him through his spirit in this family of God gives us the strength that we need. It gives me the strength to endure times of loneliness and isolation, which may be for an extended period of time. Right, we don't know how long. Paul didn't know how long. Jesus doesn't know how long. Moses doesn't know how long, Joseph doesn't, all the way through scripture, right? David, we're going to go through periods of isolation and loneliness. We don't know how long those periods are going to be, but we know that God gives us the strength to endure. He gives us the strength that we need to be honest with ourselves. The gospel gives me the strength to be honest because I know that he still loves me. Whatever I find in me, whatever inadequacies, whatever fears, whatever failures, whatever sin I see when I sit and I look, I know that it's been forgiven. I know that it's not who I am anymore. I know that it's been removed from me, which strengthens me then to not be afraid to look inward because I know that my sin has been removed. It gives me the strength that I need to reach out to people, knowing that they're going to let me down, but I know that Christ has never let me down, and that Christ will strengthen me and give me what I need, and encourages me to continue to reach out and to live as part of his community, giving us the strength that we need to love one another, to reach out to each other, and to forgive each other, to be able to quickly forgive other people's shortcomings because I have been forgiven of mine. This joy of our salvation produces awe. One of the things that was in all the scientific journals that was interesting on how to treat loneliness, most of the instruction for how to treat loneliness was, you know, what we would all anticipate. Exercise, find, you know, find a good job that you enjoy, spend time with people, do things, do things, do things, do things. But one thing they found was that one of the greatest things that overcomes loneliness was a sense of awe. So they're encouraging people to find things that create that sense of awe, right? Like going to the Grand Canyon, going to a mountain, right? And this is why for so many of us, right, we love to camp or go to play, to have this sense of awe. Because when you have a sense of awe in something, you don't think about yourself anymore, There is no greater awe right, than we will ever experience than our salvation. It m makes the Grand Canyon pale in comparison, or any mountain pales in comparison to salvation when it comes to producing awe in us. Because when we see what Christ has done, when we see what he is doing in this world, who am I? that he would love me so much? Who am I that he would call me into his family? Who am I that he has given me the things that he has given me? 
this lot in life that I have. And while there may be suffering, not just maybe, while there is suffering in this life, I am loved by the king. And it produces awe. It produces selflessness. I start to recognize more and more that this life is not about me or my happiness or what I need, that this life is about something bigger and something greater. If you're struggling with this, with loving people and reaching out, or if you're struggling with the feeling of loneliness and isolation, and you're always wishing for things to be different, I encourage you to let the joy of your salvation sweep over you. Meditate on the gospel more. Worship and pray. Find time to be alone and to be honest with God and with others and with yourself, to really speak to yourself the joy and the awe of your salvation, of what Christ has done for you, and let that transform your heart and your mind so that we can have joy in the midst of our suffering, that we will not be overcome by the fear and the regret of this world, the pressures that it puts upon us, but we will have peace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your great love. Who are we that you would love us so much? Who are we that you would adopt us into your family? That you would forgive us of our sins? That you would remove our sins from us? That you would give us a new identity a new self, that you would give us your spirit. Lord, your love is truly amazing. Lord, we confess to you how often we choose to focus on ourselves and what we don't have rather than on what we do have in you. Lord, we confess to you a lack of thanksgiving and joy in our lives. Lord, we confess to you how often we wallow in self-pity and in judgment of others and of ourselves. Lord, how often we minimize the power of the gospel in our life and in the lives of others. How we are not quick to forgive and extend grace and kindness towards our brothers and sisters, but rather where we sit in judgment and cynicism. Lord, we pray that you will restore to us the joy of our salvation, that you will help us to see who we are in you anew, Lord, captivate our hearts and our minds. Lord, give us that childlike faith and sense of awe that comes from knowing you and knowing what you think of us and what you have done for us. Lord, strengthen us for the season that we're in as individuals, as families, as a church. Lord, we know the cultural forces. We know the work that's going on around us. Lord, help us to stand firm 
together as your family against the schemes of the devil. Lord, strengthen us as a church to walk in love and in unity, caring for one another and progressing the gospel and the kingdom in this world. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.